The following is intended only for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this spine-tingling episode of Anthology of Horror, where we delve into the shadows of folklore to unearth the stories that haunt our nights and prey on our deepest fears. Today we're venturing into the heart of the Southern Low Country to explore the eerie legend of the Boo Hag, which is an entity as fascinating as it is terrifying. Hold that thought, though. Because before we go on with the Boohag legend in history, I have a few brief housekeeping items to go over with you guys. First and foremost, if you haven't already seen it, please make sure to check out the interview I did with Sledgehammer Horror on YouTube. Make sure to check out his channel, and give him a like and a follow. He's a great fucking guy, and he has some amazing content. Also, if you haven't already checked out Campfire Radio Theater, the award-winning audio drama podcast... Make sure to check them out as well, please. I have a couple of roles in their next release, and I'm excited for you all to hear it. Anyway. I was first made aware of the Boo Hag. Well, kind of. While I was puking into a dive bar urinal in my early 20s, somebody had slapped a sticker above the urinal flush lever that said, Don't let the Boo Hag ride ya. I thought it was hilarious, and then I promptly forgot about it until earlier this year. So, fast forward to earlier this year, and that memory resurfaced with a vengeance, driving me to peel back the layers of this mysterious figure. Who or what is the Boo Hag? A question that led me down a rabbit hole of Gullah culture, folklore, and nightmarish tales that have been passed down through the generations, mainly in the coastal regions of South Carolina and Georgia. The Boo Hag, as we'll discover, is no ordinary specter. She's a skinless witch, a night rider, who preys not on your flesh, but on your very essence, your breath, your energy, your spirit. By day, she might walk among us, donning the skin she's stolen to blend in. But by night, she reveals her true form to those unfortunate enough to attract her attention. In today's show, We'll explore the origins of this haunting legend, tracing its roots back to the rich traditions of the Gullah people, descendants of African slaves who managed to preserve a significant part of their heritage against all the odds. We'll also dive into the symbolism of the Boohag, what she represents, and how this figure has been used to explain the unexplainable, to instill caution, and to maintain a connection to a past that just refuses to die. But that's not all, y'all. We've also gathered a collection of short stories that bring the Boo Hag to life in the modern world. Tales of encounters that blur the lines between reality and nightmare, between cautionary tales and horrifying truth. From a love story with a tragic twist to a chilling tale of vengeance and survival. These stories will have you questioning every bump in the night, every shadow in the corner of your room. So make sure to lock your doors, sprinkle some salt by your windows, and whatever you do, 
Don't let the boo hag ride you. Let's delve into the darkness together. Welcome, my children, to Anthology of Horror. The Boohag legend is a captivating and eerie piece of folklore deeply rooted in the Gullah culture of the coastal regions of South Carolina and Georgia in the United States. The Gullah people, descendants of African slaves brought to these areas, have preserved much of their African heritage, including their language, customs, and notably their rich tradition of folklore. Among these tales, the Boohag occupies a particularly haunting niche. She embodies the fears and cultural memories of a community with a complex history. The concept of the Boohag is thought to originate from Central and uh, West African traditions brought over by enslaved Africans. These traditions merged with the local beliefs and circumstances of the enslaved communities in the American South, creating a unique and a richly textured folklore. The Boohag is essentially uh, a nocturnal creature, similar to the vampires and witches of European lore, but with distinct characteristics that reflect the African and Gullah cultural context. According to legend, the Boohag is a skinless specter that can take on the appearance of a normal human being by wearing the skin of its victims. By day, it may pass unnoticed among the community, but by night, it removes its stolen skin and transforms into a red, raw, muscle and bone creature. The Boohag is said to lack its own skin and thus seeks to maintain its human disguise by stealing the skins of the living. The primary activity of the Boohag is to ride its victims. It does this by slipping into their homes at night through any small opening or crack. It then sits on the chest or face of its sleeping victim, rendering them unable to move or cry out which is a phenomenon that closely resembles the real medical condition known as sleep paralysis, which, as you guys know, I have my doubts about. But, whatever. Unlike vampires who suck blood, the boohags are believed to suck the breath from their victims. This act is not typically lethal, but leaves the victim exhausted and uh, vulnerable to further attacks. The boohag continues to visit, night after night, slowly draining the life force from its victim. To protect oneself from a boohag, folklore offers several methods. One common recommendation is to leave a broom by one's bed before going to sleep, because the boohag is compelled to count every straw of the broom, and this can probably occupy it until sunrise, at which point it must flee to avoid being caught without its skin in the daylight. Another made-up protective measure involves sprinkling salt or placing a colander near one's bed as the boohag must stop to count the grains or holes, again, which would keep it occupied until the dawn when it has to flee. The legend of the boohag, of course, is more than just a tale to scare children into behaving or to entertain them during storytelling sessions. It serves as a metaphorical expression of the Gullah people's historical experiences of exploitation, oppression, and the struggle for autonomy and identity under slavery and its aftermath. The Boohag's theft of skin can be interpreted as a symbol of the loss of identity and cultural heritage that African slaves and their descendants may have faced. Furthermore, the Boohag's nocturnal visits reflect the ever-present fear and anxiety experienced by communities living under constant threat of harm, whether it be from slave owners in the past 
or from other forms of violence and exploitation in latter times. In modern times, though, the Buhag legend persists as a vital part of the Gullah culture, a reminder of the community's resilience and a testament to the enduring power of storytelling in preserving history, identity, and shared values. It stands as a fascinating example of how folklore can evolve from a specific historical and cultural context to become timeless tales that continue to fascinate, teach, and indeed haunt us. So now that we have the history out of the way, let's hear some frightening stories about witches riding people in the night. In the heart of the Low Country, where the marshes whisper secrets to those who dare to listen, there existed a small, tight-knit community that thrived on the tales of their ancestors. Among these tales, none was more chilling or whispered more fervently under the cloak of night than that of the Boo Hag. This story born from Gullah culture, wove itself into the fabric of the community, a haunting melody of fear and caution. Our tale begins with Elijah, a young man who had recently moved into an old, weather-beaten house at the edge of the community. The house had been passed down through generations until there were no longer any ancestors left to inherit it, and it stood solitary, its walls laden with the patina of age and secrets. Elijah, a skeptic of the supernatural, paid no mind to the whispered warnings of the elders about the land upon which his new home sat. They spoke of a presence, a boo-hag, that had long haunted the area, preying on those who dwelled within its reach. As nights fell, and the moon cast a silver glow over the marshes, Elijah found his dreams troubled by suffocating dread. He would wake, gasping for air, his heart racing, yet he could recall no nightmares. Each morning he felt more drained than the last, an inexplicable weariness that coffee nor rest could cure. The locals watched him with knowing eyes, their warnings unheeded but not forgotten. One evening, under the spell of a particularly vivid twilight, Elijah encountered an elderly woman at the market. Her eyes, deep and knowing, seemed to pierce through him. She handed him a broom, her voice a rasp of urgency. Place this by your bed, she instructed, and count each straw before you sleep. The boo-hag, she's taken a liking to you. Only Dawn can save you from her ride. Elijah, though skeptical, felt a shiver of fear at the woman's intensity. That night, he placed the broom by his bed, humor mingling with an unspoken dread. As he lay down, he began to count the straws his eyelids growing heavy until sleep claimed him. In the depths of the night, a stirring shadow slipped through the cracks of Elijah's home. It was the boo-hag, skinless, her body a grotesque tapestry of muscle and sinew, glowing red in the moonlight. She approached Elijah's bed, ready to mount his chest and drain his life force. But as she reached for him, her gaze fell upon the broom, Compelled by a force she could not resist, she began to count each straw, her task endless. Morning light crept through the windows, and with it the boo-hag's curse. She hissed in frustration, her form dissolving into the early mist as she retreated to her hideaway. Elijah awoke. The exhaustion of the previous days lifted, replaced by a vitality that he had not felt since his arrival. The encounter left Elijah transformed. 
he sought the elders, hungering for knowledge of the Buhag and the wisdom of the Gullah tradition. They told him of the Buhag's origin, a creature of greed and malice, a thief of breath and vitality. They spoke of protection through vigilance and tradition, of brooms, salt, and colanders, placed to trap or to distract the hag. Emboldened by his experience, Elijah became a guardian of sorts, a bridge between the old ways and the new. He fortified his home with symbols of protection, each a testament to the battle waged against the Boo Hag. And at night, he would sit by his window, watching the marshes, a silent sentinel against the darkness. The Boo Hag, though thwarted, lingered at the edges of the community, a shadow waiting for the unwary, but her reign of terror was diminished, her power waning against the resurgence of belief and tradition. Elijah's tale, a blend of skepticism turned conviction, spread through the community, a modern chapter in the ancient anthology of their shared folklore. As the years passed, the story of Elijah and the Buhag became a legend in its own right, a cautionary tale of respect for the unseen, for the traditions that tether us to our past, and for the strength found in unity and in belief. The Buhag, a sinister specter of the night, remained a whispered warning, but also a reminder of the power of the human spirit to confront and overcome the darkness, both within and without. Here's another one. Brother Emmett Fisher was a fine-looking young man who lived in a tiny community on the Georgia coast. He was well-respected in town for being an honest, hard-working fellow. Although he wasn't wealthy, he made a nice enough living doing handiwork for the local townspeople. Emmett was getting close to marrying age, and every woman in town was jumping at the chance to be his chosen. He would have unexpected visits from different women every day bearing gifts of fried chicken, gumbo cakes, cookies, and other delicacies. And that, young man, is why you don't let people know where you live. Anyway, but Emmett had his eyes set on a beautifully mysterious young woman who lived alone in a small cabin deep in the marsh. She was incredibly beautiful, with long dark hair, smooth skin, and piercing green eyes. But the word around town was that she was a little strange, and it was best to stay away from her if you could. Emmett, however, couldn't get this mysterious woman out of his head. What made her even more intriguing was the fact that she would walk through town, turning heads with every step, but never did she acknowledge the admiring glances or catcalls from numerous, hopeful, would-be suitors. In fact, no one in town could ever remember this woman speaking a word to anybody. After several months of watching this gorgeous beauty walk through town, Emmett finally worked up enough nerve to call on her at her marsh cabin. His plan was to go fishing one day in a tidal creek that just so happened to be near her home. While out fishing, he conveniently broke his water jug into a hundred little pieces. So, Brother Emmett walked up to the woman's house and knocked on the door. As the door slowly creaked open and the woman peeked out, Emmett nervously cleared his parched throat. "'Excuse me, ma'am,' he stammered. "'My name is Emmett Fisher.' and I seem to have broken my water jug. Could you please spare me just a cup of water? I'm mighty thirsty. The woman smiled, and she invited him in without hesitation. Her voice was even more beautiful and silky than Emmett had imagined. 
She not only gave Emmett a cup of water, but to his surprise, asked him to stay for supper. The food was delicious, and the woman waited on Emmett hand and foot. Before he knew it, she invited him to stay for breakfast the next day, then lunch, and then dinner. Suddenly, in the blink of an eye, Brother Emmett found himself married to the mysterious woman. After their sudden marriage, Emmett and his bride got along reasonably well for a while. But after a few months, he began to notice that something peculiar was going on with his new wife. On certain nights, when the clock struck midnight, Emmett would sometimes wake up to find that his wife wasn't in bed with him. Nor could she be found anywhere else in the house, so Emmett began to get worried that she might be seeing someone else on the side and confronted her about it. But she would just laugh and reassure him that she was, indeed, in the house, and that he must have just been having nightmares. As his wife began to disappear more often, Emmett decided to confide in one of his best friends, who had also just gotten married. After hearing Emmett's story, his friend shook his head and said, Emmett, I hate to say this, but it sounds to me like you might have married yourself a boo-hag. A boo-hag? asked Emmett. What's a boo-hag? His friend then went on to explain, Well, a boo-hag is an evil spirit that wakes up at night, sheds her skin like a snake, and flies outside and sucks the blood out of her victims from near and far. A boo-hag is an evil spirit that sits on your chest and steals your voice. A boo-hag is also an evil spirit that sits on your back and rides you all night like a horse until you drop dead of exhaustion. Horrified, Emmett said, Well, I sure don't want to be married to a boo-hag, if that's what she is. What am I going to do about it? Well, the only way to get rid of a boo-hag is to make sure that she can't get back into her skin. When she's gone, take a look in the closet. If you see her skin hanging in there, take it off the hook, fill it with salt and pepper, put it back in the closet then lie back and watch. Around midnight that very same evening, Emmett rolled over in bed and found that his wife was gone. He did what his friend told him to do. He got up, went to the closet, and found his wife's skin hanging there, cold and slimy to the touch like a lizard skin. He filled it with salt and pepper. He hung it back in the closet, then went back to bed, and he waited for his wife to return. Sure enough, as the sun was about to rise that morning, the door opened, and in walked his skinless wife. She opened the closet door, took her skin off the hook, and spoke to it gravely, in a witch-like hiss. I done been out and had my fun, but I'm back now, my work's all done. So let me in, skin, for the sun's about to crest. You know I'm a boo-hag, and I needs my rest. She then stepped into her skin and fastened it around her body, but after a while, that salt and pepper started to itch and burn really bad. She tried to yank the skin off, but the more she tried, the tighter the skin pressed against her body. She screamed and hollered and jumped around the room, her skin burning her alive. With that, Emmett leapt out of bed and said, I got you now, you old boo-hag witch. You fooled me and tricked me into marrying you, so now I'm going to kill you. Ain't nothing else that can be done. With that, he shoved the boo-hag into a large barrel of tar he had cooking on the hearth, and that boo-hag burned and melted her screams filling the air for miles and miles. After the boo-hag was dead, Emmett, being the handyman that he was, knew exactly what to do with that hot barrel of tar. As the sun rose that morning, he took that tar up to the top of his house, and he poured himself a brand new roof. 
So all of you nice, hard-working, fine-looking young men out there, the next time your eyes caught by a beautiful young girl, um, I'm going to say beautiful young woman, you'd better get to know her before you marry her, because one day you too may wake up late in the midnight hour, roll over in bed, and find yourself sleeping next to a boo hag. And to all of you young men that have never taken somebody home, rolled over in the middle of the night and realized that they were a boo hag, I applaud you. But it'll happen one day. I mean, I think the uh, whole murder her and make her roof thing might be a bit much, but oh, how frightening that must have been. Anyway, here's another one. <laughs> uh, in the heart of the antebellum south, on a sprawling plantation that stretched as far as the eye could see, there lived an enslaved woman named Isolde, known among the enslaved community for her deep knowledge of herbal remedies and whispered to possess the gift of conjure. Isolde was both revered and feared. The plantation, a vast empire of cotton fields under the tyrannical rule of the DuPont family, was a place of immense wealth and, at times, unspeakable cruelty. Isolde had been born into bondage on the plantation, her life one of hardship and toil marked by the scars of punishment for the slightest perceived infractions. Despite the oppression, she nurtured a spirit unbroken, her nights spent in the secrecy of the slave quarters where she practiced her ancestral rites, a whispered legacy of her African heritage. The DuPonts, particularly the patriarch, Thomas DuPont, were known for their brutality. Under his watch, the plantation had flourished, but at a cost paid in blood and tears by those he had enslaved. His wife Elizabeth was no less cruel, her sadistic tendencies veiled behind a facade of genteel southern belle. A turning point came with the arrival of the Harvest Moon, a night when Isolde's powers were said to be at their zenith. The plantation had been rife with whispers of an upcoming rebellion, whispers that had not gone unnoticed by the DuPonts. In a display of ruthless authority, Thomas DuPont decided to make an example of a young man caught whispering of freedom, his punishment to be carried out under the light of the full moon in front of all who were enslaved on the plantation. Isolde, along with all the other slaves, was forced to witness the cruelty, and she felt something ancient and furious awaken within her. That night, as the cries of injustice filled the air, she retreated into the woods, to a place no chains could bind her spirit. There, under the watchful gaze of the ancestors, she called upon the powers of the earth, the air and the water, her voice a melodic chant that rose above the trees. Her plea was for justice, for retribution against those who had inflicted such suffering upon her people. She called forth a boo-hag, a spirit of vengeance and protector of the wronged. The conjure was a dangerous one, for the boo-hag was a creature of both protection and predation, bound by no moral compass but the will of the summoner. As a soldier's chant reached its crescendo, the air around her thickened, a palpable darkness weaving through the trees. From this darkness, this boo-hag was born, a creature of nightmare, skinless and red, its eyes alight with malevolent fire. It listened to a soldier's plea, its head tilting in understanding. And then with a sound like the rustling of dead leaves, it disappeared into the night. The following days were marked by a palpable tension. The air on the plantation was heavy with the anticipation of something unseen on the horizon. 
Thomas and Elizabeth Dupont, unaware of the force unleashed against them, continued their reign of terror, blind to the shadow that now lurked in their midst. Night after night, the Boohag visited the Duponts, riding them as they slept, draining their vitality, leaving them exhausted and fearful of the unrestful nights. Yet by day, the creature was nowhere to be found, its presence a mystery to those who suffered under the Dupont's rule. As weeks turned into months, the Boohag's torment of the Duponts grew more intense, their once unassailable dominion over their enslaved people crumbling as their health and sanity began to falter. The plantation, once a symbol of their power, became a prison of their own making. The fields untended as they became consumed by their own fear and exhaustion. Isolde watched the decline of the Duponts with a somber satisfaction, knowing the price of summoning the Boohag. The spirit, having fulfilled its purpose, began to demand its payment turning its attention to those who had called it forth. It was then that Isolde understood the true cost of her revenge, the balance that must be maintained between the worlds of the living and the world of the spirits. With the same courage that led her to summon the Boohag in the first place, Isolde confronted the creature, offering herself in place of her people. In a final act of conjure, she bound the Boohag to the land that had been the stage of so much suffering its presence, a type of guardian against future cruelty, its appetite sated by the energy of the plantation itself, now forever tainted by the legacy of the Duponts. The story of Isolde and the Boohag became a legend whispered among the descendants of those who had lived on the plantation, a tale of justice and retribution, of the power of the conjure woman and the spirit that she had summoned. The plantation itself, as you might imagine, eventually fell into ruin, reclaimed by the earth, a haunting reminder of the past and the price of vengeance. Isolde's sacrifice was remembered, her name spoken with reverence, a symbol of the unbreakable spirit of those who had suffered there, and of the belief that, even in the darkest of times, sometimes there can be light. Terrifying indeed. <laughs> In the sprawling urban landscape of Charleston, South Carolina, where history intertwines with the modern beat of city life, there thrived an undercurrent of old tales and superstitions, remnants of the Gullah culture passed down through generations. Among these tales, the legend of the Boohag was most fervent, a chilling narrative that persisted in whispers among the locals, a cautionary tale that urged one to be wary of what lies beneath the surface. Eli, a young software developer, had recently moved to Charleston, drawn by a lucrative job offer and the charm of the historic city. Unfamiliar with the local lore, he was intrigued by the vibrant culture and the warmth of the community. He found an apartment in an old refurbished building downtown, its walls echoing the rich history of the city, a perfect blend of the past and of the present. One evening, while exploring the lively scene of King Street, Eli met Mara. She was captivating, with a beauty that seemed almost out of place, her eyes holding depths that hinted at untold stories. 
Of course, they connected instantly, the attraction undeniable. And as the night drew on, they found themselves sharing tales of their lives, their dreams, and their fears. Mara listened intently as Eli spoke. Her interest peaked when he mentioned his new apartment. She warned him, half in jest, about the Boo Hag, a creature of folklore known to prey on the unsuspecting, stealing their breath as they slept. Eli, of course, laughed off the warning, his rational mind dismissing the tale as nothing more than a quaint superstition. However, as the days passed, Eli began to notice peculiarities in his new home. He would wake up feeling inexplicably drained, his sleep disturbed by nightmares that felt all too real, shadows lurking at the edge of his vision, whispers in the dark that left him uneasy. Remembering Mara's warning, a seed of unease was planted in his mind, though he tried to rationalize his experience as the result of stress in the adjustment to a new city. But he could not. One night, compelled by a mixture of fear and curiosity, Eli decided to confront whatever haunted his apartment. He stayed awake, armed with the old Gullah advice that Mara had shared with him, leaving a broom by his bed and sprinkling a line of salt at his bedroom door, skeptical yet desperate measures against the creeping dread that had taken hold of him. As the witching hour approached, the atmosphere in the apartment shifted, the air grew thick, charged with an unease some type of dark energy. Eli's skepticism wavered when he saw her, a figure emerging from the shadows, her form barely human, skinless, red, and muscles and sinew exposed, her eyes glowing with a malevolent light. The boo-hag, as real as the fear that clenched Eli's heart. Frozen in terror, Eli watched as the boo-hag approached the line of salt in the broom, her movements halting as if barred by unseen forces. She snarled in frustration, her gaze locked on Eli, a hunger in her eyes that spoke of a primal need. The legend was true, and Eli realized in that moment the danger that he was in. He realized the price of his disbelief. The night passed in a tense standoff, the boo-hag unable to cross the barriers that Eli had placed. And as dawn broke, the creature retreated, disappearing as if she were made of the very shadows that birthed her. Eli was left shaken, his belief in the rational world upended. He sought out Mara, desperate for answers and guidance. She listened with a solemn gravity, her knowledge of the boo-hag far deeper than Eli had imagined. Mara revealed herself to be a descendant of the Gullah, a keeper of their traditions and a protector against the dark forces that lurked in the corners of modern life. She explained that the boo-hag was drawn to the energy of the living, feeding on their vitality to sustain herself, hidden within the city's shadows. Together they prepared Eli's home with ancient protections, weaving gullah spells and setting wards to shield against the boo-hag's return. Eli learned the power of belief, the strength found in the old ways, and the importance of respecting traditions that had survived through generations. The boo-hag was thwarted by their defenses, and she lingered at the edges of Eli's life, a constant reminder of the unseen world that paralleled his own. Eli and Mara's bond deepened, their lives intertwined by their shared encounter with the darkness, their days filled with efforts to protect the community from the shadows that preyed upon it. Eli's story, of course, 
did spread, and it became a modern tale of the boohag that served as a warning to those who dismissed the old ways, a testament to the enduring power of folklore in the face of modern skepticism. Charleston remained a city of beauty and history, but for those who knew where to look, it was also a battleground where ancient protectors stood guard against the darkness, preserving the balance between the seen and the unseen. This last one is going to be for all you romantic saps out there. This is going to be our last tale. In the heart of the South Carolina low country, where the Spanish moss hangs like ghostly curtains from the gnarled arms of ancient oaks, there lay a town, steeped in history and shadowed by the tales of the Gullah people. Among these tales, the legend of the Boohag was whispered with a reverence born of fear, a creature of the night that could steal a man's vitality, leaving him a withered husk by dawn. This is where our tragic tale unfolds with a young man named Jeremiah, whose heart was as vast as the ocean and whose spirit was as free as the birds that danced upon the air. Jeremiah, a painter of some renown in the local community, had a passion for capturing the soul of the low country on his canvas. Its beauty, its mystery, and of course, its sorrow. One fateful evening, at a gathering celebrating the Gullah's culture, Jeremiah's eyes met those of a woman who seemed to embody the very essence of the night. Her name was Serafina, and she moved with a grace that belied the earthbound nature of humanity. Her beauty was not of this world, and Jeremiah, ever the artist, saw in her a muse that could inspire his greatest masterpiece. They fell into a whirlwind romance, a love that burned too bright too fast. Jeremiah was consumed by her, his every thought, every stroke of the brush filled with the essence of Serafina. She, in turn, seemed equally enchanted, her nights spent in his arms, her days a mystery that Jeremiah never thought to question. But as the weeks passed, Jeremiah began to notice a change in himself, a fatigue clung to him, a weariness that sleep could not dispel. His once vibrant paintings turned dark, the colors muted, the scenes twisted into landscapes of nightmare. And still he could not pull himself away from Serafina, her presence, the only balm to the growing dread that filled his waking hours. It was an old woman, a descendant of the Gullah, who saw the shadow that hung over Jeremiah first. With a knowing look, she whispered to him the truth of what Serafina was, and that was, of course, a boo-hag, a creature that preyed upon the living to sustain her own cursed existence. Jeremiah refused to believe it, as a rational man would. But his love was also a blinding force against the creeping terror that the old woman's words invoked. Yet, doubt seated itself in Jeremiah's heart, growing with each passing night. He watched Serafina as she slept, her breath a silent whisper in the dark, and wondered at the price of his love. In a moment of desperation, he sought to protect himself with the old ways, which was, of course, a broom by the bed, a line of salt at the door, so on and so forth, but he was hoping beyond hope that the tales were just that, tales. However, when Serafina rose that night, her true form revealed in the moon's cold light, Jeremiah's heart broke. She was indeed the boo-hag. 
her beauty a mask for the horror beneath, her love a lie born of hunger. She wept as she saw the realization dawn in his eyes, her tears blood red in the moonlight. I never meant to harm you, she whispered, her voice a melody of sorrow. In you I found something I thought that I'd lost long ago, love, but I cannot change what I am. Jeremiah, torn between love and survival, made a choice that would haunt him for the rest of his days. He embraced Serafina one last time, feeling the life drain from him, a willing sacrifice to the creature that he loved. With his last breath, he forgave her, a final act of love that set her free from the curse that bound her to this earth. Seraphina's scream of agony and loss pierced the night as Jeremiah's body crumpled to the ground, an empty husk. The dawn found her still beside him, her form slowly fading with the first light of the sun until she was no more, her spirit released from the eternal hunger that had cursed her existence. The tale of Jeremiah and Seraphina became a legend in the Low Country, a tragic love story that transcended the boundary between humanity and the supernatural. It served as a reminder of the power of love, even in the face of darkness, and the sacrifices we are willing to make for those that we hold dear. Jeremiah's paintings, those vibrant captures of the low country soul, took on new significance, viewed as the lasting legacy of a man who loved too deeply, and on certain nights, when the moon casts its silver glow over the Spanish moss, it's said that you can see two figures entwined in the shadows, a testament to a love that defied the natural order, forever etched into the heart of the Low Country. As we close the veil on today's eerie exploration of the Boo Hag, I want to remind you to venture further into the shadows with our network's other chilling offerings. Dive into the depths of fear with demented darkness and explore the eerie intersection of geek culture and the macabre with Dark Side of the Nerd, both hosted by the wonderful Scary Jerry. And for those who tread the path less traveled, Foxhound 43 on Rumble awaits with all sorts of edge lordery to entertain you and game playthroughs. Also, don't forget to visit our merch store at aohpmerch.com for all of your horror needs. Oh, exciting news for our dedicated listeners. You asked and we answered. Death Valley Man t-shirts and merch are on the horizon. Ready to join your collection of nightmares turned wearable. So be sure to keep an eye out because they are coming soon. And the merch store address is aohpmerch.com Thank you guys for joining us today. Until next time, keep the lights on, the salt handy, and whatever you do, don't let the boo hag ride you. Uh, I guess, unless of course you're into that weird shit, then by all means, let the boo hag ride you, and just remember to stay spooky.
stand on the floor of the board of this car on the road. Got this woman in the backseat. She my wife in the middle of delivery. Man, she saved me to this day. I don't know why. She picked me up when I was down on the road with the wind when it blows. So a sun gonna rise in a mile. The wheels in my hand It's to stand on the floor Of the board or this car 